Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Let's say a word of prayer and jump into this morning's message. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your presence with us. In fact, on this, uh, this Advent, we remember uh, that you have come to us and offered us the gift of yourself. And so, God, uh, as we gather each week, uh, we pray that we would encounter you. Uh, we pray that for this morning, uh, that through the message, through the music, through gathering at the table in a few moments, uh, that all of these things, God, would be a means of grace for us to experience your presence and to experience your love. God, we love you, we thank you, and we give you praise. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we've mentioned, today is the first Sunday in Advent, and Advent marks the beginning of the liturgical year. Uh, you know, it's uh, pretty uncommon for uh, evangelical mainline churches to pay any, a lot of attention to the liturgical calendar. Uh, but we've been doing that for a couple of years here at Emmaus, and I want to briefly explain uh, why we do that. Uh, why do we pay attention to seasons like Lent and Advent and Easter and Christmas Tide and Pentecost Sunday and things like that? Uh, well, the, the, the short reason is every nation marks time uh, to tell their story. Uh, so as Americans, we mark our time with cultural holidays uh, like July 4th, Thanksgiving, Martin Luther King Day, etc. All of these holidays, these markings of time, uh, help to tell the American story. And we should tell the American story. Uh, and it's good for us to kind of walk through the year in a way that helps us to remember uh, what we're about. Uh, as the people of God, though, we want to mark time uh, in addition to just telling the American story. We want to tell uh, the Christian story, uh, the story of Christ. And, and observing or paying attention to and recognizing the liturgical calendar is a way for us to mark time and tell our own story, the Christian story, from the birth of Christ to the birth of the church. And so Advent, which helps us to prepare for Christmas, and Christmas is a celebration of Christ, Advent marks the very beginning of the liturgical year. And so uh, today, as the people of God, I say to you, Happy New Year. Uh, but each liturgical season has a different theme that helps us uh, express our faith in Christ. And Advent is a season of anticipation. Uh, and just as the prophets then waited and anticipated the coming of the Messiah, so we also anticipate and wait upon the second coming of the Messiah. It is a season that is to be marked with joy, peace, love, and hope. And so for this Advent, what we are going to do is we're going to enter into the mystery of Christmas and the coming of the Messiah. Uh, because this story is, is really a, a mystical, magical story that is filled with so many unexpected details. Uh, details and, and wondrous things like the virgin conception, uh, Jesus' birth in a little town uh, called Bethlehem in a stable. Uh, the announcement of this royal birth, but the announcement to shepherds. Uh, there, there are lots of unexpected details, lots of mysterious things going on in this story that we want to begin to explore and unpack a little bit. In fact, just to give you an idea, a mystery, according to Webster's Dictionary, is something difficult or impossible to understand. A mystery is something difficult or impossible to understand. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up uh, reading Hardy Boys Mysteries and watching Scooby-Doo, uh, and so I appreciate a good mystery when I see it, right? Um, 
And so I grew up reading these books and watching cartoons, but really popular culture, uh, the way we use mystery is we, we think that when we see a mystery, it is something that needs to be figured out or explained. That that's what is a, a mystery is. It's something to be figured out or explained. And this is really what I'm, I'm not trying to do that at all in this series. I'm not trying to figure out the mysterious elements of the Christmas story, but rather I'm inviting us to experience them. Uh, my, my, my goal in this series is, is in many ways uh, to just invite us to experience the wonder of this story and maybe, uh, maybe take the veil of logic off and, and just begin to understand this story for what it is. Uh, in many ways, I could say that I'm inviting you to be a mystic. Now, a mystic is someone who believes in the apprehension of truth beyond the intellect. Um, now, our modern selves will likely push against this term mystic. Uh, Because we have mistakenly believed that we can only know through the mind. Uh, That the mind is the only path to knowing something. Uh, But there are actually lots of things that cannot be known through intellect. uh, But they can be known just the same. A common example of this is when I ask engaged couples, why do you want to marry your fiancé? And it's really fun for me to watch them try to explain uh, logically something they feel in their heart, uh, but they don't fully know in their head. You see, love is something that is absolutely true, but it cannot be explained. Uh, it can only be known by experience. Uh, and so what I'm asking and what I'm inviting us to do is to, to know things and to enter into this mystery of the Christmas story, uh, recognizing that we're not trying to just explain it away but rather we're trying to experience it. Experience it. And so at least to, to at least some degree, if you've ever fallen in love, you are in fact a mystic. What the Christmas story does not do then, and what does it, it does not appeal to our mind. Uh, the story uh, of the coming of the Messiah is not seeking to be understood. It is not seeking to be dissected. And uh, it is only sort of the, our scientific modern minds that want to take a story like this and dissect it to its smallest parts and then try to explain it, uh, but rather, rather than just experience it. And so this story is not really seeking to be explained as much as it is experienced. In fact, I would argue that this is part of the reason that so many of us love this season, uh, because this season is experienced through the music, through the glow of lights, through the decorations, uh, through all of this beauty. We, we, we love this time of year, uh, you know, a lot of if you were to ask someone, why do you love Christmas? Uh, they, they might say, well, because it's uh, the celebration of Jesus' birth uh, a long time ago and all of those kinds of things. But more, than li- more likely, they're, they're, they're likely to say, I love Christmas because I love to drive around and, and look at the lights. I love, the, I love Christmas music. And like July is not too early, right, for Christmas music. And uh, some of you are in that boat. Uh, I am not in that boat. (laughs) Christmas music is very firmly like Thanksgiving and afterward. Uh, But, um, you know, whenever we ask or whenever whenever someone asks us, why do we love this season? It's because of all the things that we experience. Uh, And you don't experience those things through the mind or by an explanation, but rather you experience those through the senses, the smell of the pine, the glow of lights, the sounds of the carols. Um, All of this pointing us to this, this season is inviting us into a mystery. And as we begin this series, I want to do the same. I just want to echo the invitation that is, in fact, already there. I want to 
invite you into the wonder, the beauty, and the mystery. But the mystery of Christmas uh, does not begin in Bethlehem. Uh, It doesn't even begin with Mary. But rather, the mystery of Christmas begins with John the Baptist. Uh, As Luke tells his story of Christmas... Uh, He includes a major character that is not Jesus, it isn't Mary, and it isn't Joseph. Uh, In fact, as you read the Christmas story in Luke, beginning in Luke chapter 1, what you see are two stories that are being told in parallel to one another. Uh, It's being told in parallel to the Jesus story is the story of John the Baptist. It's the story of John the Baptist in his his conception, his birth, in his ministry, is is given an equal place right alongside the story of Jesus. In fact, you could say that if you were to read just the Gospel of Luke uh, and, and, and determine what is the Christmas story really about, you could almost be brought to a point where you would say there is, in fact, a second nativity according to Luke. And it is the nativity of John the Baptist. And so I want to read a good portion of the, the story of John the Baptist this morning. Found in Luke chapter 1. I want to read, um, since it's told in parallel, we're going to do some skipping around. But I want to read verse 5 through 22. And then I want to pick up at verse 57 through uh, 66. Now this is a lengthy passage. But we need to understand the whole story of John the Baptist. In order to drive the point home that I want to talk about this morning. And so you can follow along with me uh, in your, on your phones or in your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen as well. But I want to read Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5 through 22, and then 57 through 66. It says this, In the time of Herod, king of uh, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense had came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right hand of the altar and incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now he would be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. For he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he will bring back many people, uh, bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now Zechariah asked the, asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. I love the discernment of John the Baptist, of, of that, don't you? I am an old man, but my wife is well along in years. That's good wisdom there. So the angel of the Lord said to him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of the Lord, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And here's, here's where the story gets interesting. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Um, you know, why is he spending so much time in church? And then when he came out, he, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision 
in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Skip down to verse 57. Now, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, don't you love the scriptures? They just kind of skip all of the, the details, right? So those of you ladies who have been pregnant, you're like, there's a lot that happened between these, these two things here. Um, but when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, uh, just like that. In one verse, <laughs> we went from, uh, you will be pregnant to you have, you have a son now. Uh, now, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her joy. Now, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. Now, they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. And so they made signs uh, to his father to find out what uh, he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Now, immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Now, wouldn't you be talking about that if that had happened to you or some of your friends? Now, there's this uh, interesting thing, as if the Christmas story itself didn't have enough oddity, you add this story of John the Baptist to the mix. Elizabeth is unable to have a child, uh, and those of you who are there or maybe have been there, you know this is a very difficult road to walk. She and her husband grow old and beyond the years of holding on to hope for a child. Uh, After all, he said, I am old, and my wife is well along in years. Uh, They had given up hope. Uh, They were no longer holding out for the good news uh, of the pregnancy. And so Zachariah is at the temple going about his duties when Gabriel, an angel, appears and tells him that he's going to have a son and be named John. I ran into a woman in her 60s this week. We were talking about the Christmas story. She said that she never wants to meet Gabriel because it doesn't matter how old you are, you end up pregnant. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. And so Zechariah asks a follow-up question. That's all he did. He just asked a follow-up question. You know, hey, what, what is, what is, you know, try to make some, unpack this for me a little bit. Uh, and when he asks a follow-up question, all of a sudden he's unable to speak. Now this is curious because now he and his wife were playing lots of charades that Christmas season. And so I want you to imagine trying to make your, make your like trying to communicate and you're unable to speak. Uh, so that became very interesting. Fast forward a few months to the birth of the baby. In the day of circumcision, they're getting ready to name their baby. Everybody assumes that they're going to name it after his dad. It's going to be a little junior, and that's good. It's a good thing. Firstborn, a firstborn son. Uh, the custom is certainly to name uh, a family name or after the father. In fact, if you, look at verse, um, if you look at verse 59, one of the translations could say that they were calling this baby Zachariah. Uh, there was a huge assumption that this would be uh, the baby's name is just little junior. Uh, but everybody, everyone assumes that he'll be named uh, after the dab. But when they ask, Zechariah writes on a tablet. That is, he wrote on stone or paper, not an electronic device. Um, and then he writes on the tablet, his name is, is John. And after that, he is able to speak. Uh, and you thought Stranger Things was strange, right? I mean, this story is so bizarre. And in fact, what we need to understand is the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist goes on to uh, participate in ministry. Uh, he baptizes people. He does just as the angel had told Zechariah. He brings, he calls people back into faithfulness to God. He prepares the way for the Messiah. And in fact, John the Baptist is widely known as 
the forerunner of Jesus. In fact, uh, a lot of commentaries refer to him as John the forerunner, not just John the Baptist. So he, he actually prepares the way for the Messiah. Now, I want us to think about this. There, are, there have been generations and generations of anticipation for the Messiah to arrive, for him to come, for him to break in on the scene. There, there's just literally hundreds of years of, of built-up anticipation for the arrival of the Messiah. You would think that uh, this once that that kind of silence breaks that it would just be in a moment. There would be no need for anything uh, to, to lead up to that. It would just be this aha moment in history where, where God finally sends the Messiah. But before he does that, he sees fit to send John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Messiah. So the Savior of the world, the Messiah sent by God, needed someone to go before him and prepare the way. That in itself is a mystery to me. Why God would see fit or God would see the need to prepare the hearts of the people for the long-awaited Messiah. I think it demonstrates to us that even the most profound moments in our life have had a path carved out for them that would prepare us for them. If you're like me, a central part of your smartphone experience is the ability to play music. I love having a soundtrack to my life. There are very few things that I do without music playing in the background. And so the reality is, is that we, as a, as a people, have always wanted to carry music around with us, but we were limited to carrying around portable, compact disc players and whatever albums we could carry. How many of you remember those days? Yeah? Like, like six of you. Thank you for making me feel old. Um, Portable disc man, we used to call him. And it was just like a little CD player. And you had your like Sony headphones. And then you had like sleeves of CDs. You had books, of like this booklet that had a bunch of sleeves in it that you would store your CDs. Some of you are like, that's not old. I still do that. Um, <laughs> don't worry. Like, we still love you. Um, and so, you know, it was just you were really limited to what kind of music you could take with you on the go. This all changed, though, in 2001 with the introduction of the iPod. Now, did you know that there was, in fact, a forerunner to the iPod? Uh, and I'm not talking about, and I'm, so I'm not making a comparison between Jesus and the iPod, first of all. Let's understand that. Uh, and I'm also not, <laughs> but I'm also not talking about all those really poorly designed MP3 players that came before it. Uh, the iPod came out, at least in part, because of this thing called Firewire. Uh, Firewire was a dormant technology invented by Apple in the late 80s and early 90s. It had the ability to transfer information much faster than standards like USB, but it never caught on. Uh, It never caught on until Apple decided to integrate Firewire into their third generation of this new computer they were calling the iMac. And they also shipped that computer with some new software for making home movies called iMovie. What the Firewire allowed consumers to do was transfer video from their digital camcorders to their computers, at least at decent speeds. And so now, with the introduction of the iMac, iMovie, and Firewire, you could actually make a home movie in just a few minutes instead of a few hours. What this did is this positioned the Mac as the digital media hub for the home uh, with only one problem. There, there was not a good solution for storing or listening to digital music on the go. And what Napster had proven 
was that digital music was the future. Uh, Napster was awesome. It was like back in the day when you were stealing music, but you didn't know you were stealing it, right? Like, how, like in college, mixed tapes for the girlfriend all day long on Napster, right? Come on, tell me you did it too, right? I mean, Napster was amazing uh, because nobody knew it was illegal. Nobody knew you couldn't just, just like steal these computer files that were in fact music. Well, I don't have to buy the CD. I can get it on Napster. Um, so with, uh, with all of this kind of cl- coming together, the pathway was cleared and all the pieces in place for Apple to introduce the very first iPod in 2001 with the tagline, a thousand songs in your pocket. And guess what? It shipped with the Firewire cable. And the FireWire was what enabled you to quickly transfer those thousand songs from your computer to your iPod. And this revolutionary device changed both the music industry and the tech industries forever. But the iPod wouldn't have been possible without a dormant technology that had been invented more than 10 years prior to the introduction of the iPod. The point I'm trying to make is that everything, even the most life-changing things, have something that paves the way. And what John the Baptist and the, the nativity of John the Baptist shows us is that this, the beginning point of of humankind's deliverance from the power of the devil and sin and eternal death is not necessarily a nativity in Bethlehem, but rather it's the nativity of John the Baptist because in the birth of John, God was preparing the world for the coming Messiah. That it it was just about time. And so God sends John the Baptist into the world to prepare the way for the message that the Messiah would share about the arrival and the coming of the kingdom of God. And so even when something is as highly anticipated as the Messiah, we still need to prepare our hearts and our minds for it. And the goodness and the providence and the graciousness of God is that God is often doing just that for us, even in the moments when we don't know it, even in the moments when we don't recognize. God is paving the way, preparing the way for us. He is, in fact, going ahead of us. And so John's life, his very purpose, was meant to point to Jesus. In fact, I want you to consider even the timing of their births. They're only six months apart, but the timing of their births built into the fabric of creation itself is an embodiment of John's mission to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. Listen to this. Being born exactly half a year before Christ, John the forerunner, by the, time, by the exact time of his birth, is depicting a mission of preparing the way for the Lord. Because John was born around June 24th, when the day begins to grow shorter after the summer solstice, where Jesus was born right around December 25th, when the day begins to grow longer after the winter solstice. So these facts are an embodiment of words that will be spoken later by, the, by John, found in John chapter 3, verse 30, where John says, He must increase and I must decrease. See, built into the very fabric of creation and the timing of their births, 
John is born in the time right after summer solstice where the days decrease. Jesus is born right after the winter solstice where the days start to increase. And this itself is in fact is also an embodiment of John's very mission that he is to prepare a way for the coming Messiah. That he must decrease so that Jesus Christ may increase. And here's what I want to show us today. A very simple thing. Again, I'm not trying to overanalyze, and I'm certainly in this series not trying to overexplain the Christmas story, but rather to allow us just to absorb it for all of its beauty and its wonder. And it is this. The story of John the Baptist shows us that God is always up to something. The story of John the Baptist shows us that God is always up to to something. God is always working. And so the Christmas mystery begins by inviting us into a relationship with a God who is always active, always working, always moving. There are always miracles that are happening that prepare the way for other miracles. There's always these this reality that through all the ups and downs of life, all the changes, all the uncertainties, all the hardships or the letdowns, that through all of the joys or the successes, all the celebrations, that in fact in the midst of all of those things in life, God is going before us and he is preparing the way. And that is a really good thing for us just to rest in. And the ways in which God goes about this are mysterious. I can't explain what that looks like. I can't tell you exactly how God does that. But I just can look at, the, at this beautiful story that before there was ever Jesus, there was John. And he was there because even God was going even before himself in the Messiah. And so whatever you're facing in your life, whatever, whether it's a season of up or down, uh, or whether it's just kind of a season that you're just trying to get through, it's not really up or it's not really down, you're just kind of on a, on a steady plane and just trying to get through, there is good news for you today as we enter into the mysterious story of Christmas. And the good news is that God is going before you. In fact, I would want to say this, that God is uniquely capable of being fully present right now and at the very same time, fully ahead of us, preparing the way. God is uniquely capable of being fully present right now and also fully ahead of us, preparing the way. And I think that this just in itself, points again to the overwhelming truth of the Christmas story, which is that God is present. The incarnation of of God in Christ at Christmas demonstrates for us the incredible truth that God is with us. God is present. God is here. But I think there's really good news in recognizing and knowing and just allowing our hearts to rest in the fact that God isn't just here, but he's also preparing the way. He's also ahead of us. And so if we're going to enter into the Christmas story and experience it, we must first see 
that before there was Jesus, there was John, the forerunner to the Messiah. Amen.